Hey everybody, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, grab a, a drink, some pizza. We've got plenty of food. Uh, we're going to get started here in a second. If this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here even if it's not your first time. Um, but you will need one of these. There's some all the way, uh, all around the room, around the seats. Uh, this is really important because what we do here is we'll have a conversation about ambition tonight. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll throw it open to, you can text in any questions that you want. So literally nothing's off the table. You go ahead and ask. Uh, if you see questions that you like on there, go ahead and like those and those will get them up. I, I think Colton or somebody is gonna do the questions for us. But we'll start those in probably 25 minutes and, and then we'll be done. But just by way of reminder, we've got, if you are not on our email list and want to be, uh, you can sign up for that here as well. At, this Sunday, a, a number of you have already signed up, which is great, but we've got a great turnout. There's still space available for the oyster roast that we're doing this Sunday, three to five. We'd love to have you there. With live entertainment from Ooh. Cole and Mike. Cole and Mike, yeah. That's worth it alone right there to come. Yep. No cover awesome. charge for that. No cover charge, exactly. Uh, lots of food. There'll be, if you don't like oysters, there's chili, dessert, all that stuff, beer and wine. So uh, please join us, uh, three to five. You can sign up right there. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about this, uh, we, I think we had one question about it last week, but it got us going, we should do a whole thing on ambition, the uh, idea of striving for greatness, right? So why, why is it important that we talk about ambition, do you think? Well, I think there are lots of reasons it's important. I think that ambition is one of those things that is widely misunderstood in our culture. Uh, I think that there are different types of ambition, some that are really awesome and healthy, and other types of ambition that will literally suck your life away if you're not careful. And I think that where you are in terms of uh, your view of ambition and what the purpose of your life is, those things are deeply connected. But a lot of times we haven't taken the time to think through where we are on all that. Yeah, I think especially for those who are maybe right out of college or uh, just starting out in their careers, the idea of, you know, what do we do with our lives and our jobs, our vocations? Um, and especially as Christians, we can wonder, like, I think most people hear the word ambition and there's like a negative connotation to it. Uh, but as you said, there's different types of ambition. So what is ambition? How does it go wrong? How, what is good ambition? Well, I would say good ambition is a desire to do your best, to be excellent uh, in what you do and the way you live your life. Uh, from a Christian perspective, it would be to honor God in everything that you do, whether it's your work or your leisure, uh, to work well, um, as scripture says, as unto the Lord. Um, but it would also involve being ambitious for the right things. And I think that's one of the places where I think get very confused whether you're a person of faith or not about what does it mean to have a life well lived when you get to the end of your life and you look back, what do you want to be able to look at and feel that you made a difference in the world and um, how did your life count? And a couple of years ago there was a book uh, that came out that was called The Purpose Driven Life. Um, that if you've never read that, uh, I would suggest that that is a good thing to read because he talks about this idea of beginning with the end in mind. And I think for a lot of us, we get programmed really early on when we're in school to just keep doing the next thing 
that there's like a next goal and a next step. And if you like do really well at that, then you get the next step. And if you get enough of those and enough prizes and badges, then you win the game and your life was a success. But that's not actually the way it works. Yeah. I think the idea of, uh, we, I don't know if we've talked about calling before in this, but the idea of God's call in your life is, is wound up in ambition in some way. So like, um, we ought to be ambitious for the things that God calls us to, right? And uh, so a lot of people have no clarity as to, okay, how do we figure out what that is? What do I do? Uh, oftentimes, like you were saying, you can just, the idea of climbing the ladder is the ultimate goal. And it doesn't matter what that next rung on the ladder is, I just know that I ought to do that. Yeah. Um, and people, the, the world at least, does not understand at all. Uh, I think even, um, yeah, this is confusing that some people get to maybe get all the way to the top or get to the higher places up on the ladder and realize, A, they're doing things differently than what they had done that got them there and they no longer feel as fulfilled. Maybe they struggle in like management things as opposed to like the lower levels that they were doing and you want to say, well, actually, you're just ingrained to, to just keep going up the ladder. But actually, what you're feeling, what you're sensing is that God's called you perhaps to something different, that you're flourishing in other areas. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think one of the areas where we get off track, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, is that our culture has tended to define ambition in terms of work and career, and that that's where you're ambitious. And actually, I think we need to take a much broader view and be ambitious for life, for a life that is a life of meaning and purpose and if you're a Christian, a life that is the one that God has called you to, where you use the gifts that God has given you um, in the service of God's people and God's creation. And I think that's a much more noble kind of ambition. And I think the other trick with ambition for many of us is that sometimes we get stuck with our parents' dreams for us or our adolescent dreams for ourselves. So I think I've talked about this before, but when I was uh, in high school, a lot of my self-image and worth was caught up in the fact that I loved music, I was all about music, and at that point, I was actually a pretty decent piano player, so I had decided I was going to be a piano performance major in college, and I was really excited about that, but there was one huge problem with that. Um, one was that I probably wasn't good enough to uh, make a living being a pianist. But the other more serious problem is that was against my design because those of you who know me would probably guess that I'm a pretty extreme extrovert and if you are a piano performance major you spend six hours a day in a little underground room by yourself with a piano. And so when you set an ambition that's at odds with the way God has wired you, that's not going to work out very well. That sounds amazing for me, actually, sitting <laughs> in a, <laughs> a basement with just a piano for six hours. No, uh, so I think that, like, you know, ambitions, is, it's a tricky thing to talk about because depending on where you're standing, it may be a good thing or a bad thing. So if you think about, like, if you're in New York, you know, oftentimes ambition is this perennial struggle that people have. And so the places like New York... London, Milan, all over the world, like they're the epicenters of ambition and it's no accident that those are the, the common places. And so if you're surrounded with people who are 
absolutely cutthroat trying to get ahead, get to the next level, you're going to think ambition's probably a bad thing. Um, however, I grew up here in Charleston, and I think that like for a lot of people that I knew, and essentially what you know, ambition would be actually a healthy thing because more often than not, they were just working for the weekend. They were looking to get out on the boat, hunt, fish, play golf, whatever it is. Like, um, and that was leaving gifts on the table, so to speak. Mm -hmm. it, not necessarily with their job, but just looking to try and get by. And you're like, you have so much potential that that God's actually calling you to to use and unleash. Um, and so faithfulness for this person would actually be ambitious. And so it really depends on where you are. Um, I love this book. Uh, a lot of what I have to say tonight uh, on ambition is from him. It's James K. Smith on the road with St. Augustine. And I love what he says because he's like two things. One, it's apprentice yourself to ancient friends. And one of his ancient friends is St. Augustine from like the 5th century. And Augustine is like the prototypical ambitious person who did all, he was like brilliant, crazy. And um, so he has a lot of wisdom to share on ambition, but that's kind of what one of the things he talks about is like, uh, you know, ambition's fickle because it really depends on where you stand, whether it's a good or a bad thing. And he has this image of like ambition, a lot of people think the opposite of ambition is just doing nothing, um, but, or, or to, to not be ambitious, right? But like, really what he's saying is ambition is kind of like the sails, right, on the ship. And the rudder is really, really important. That's, it's taking you to the intended goal. So the idea is not to just let all the air out of the sails and do nothing. That's, that's actually not the true calling. But the design is where are you headed? That's the, that's the key.
And we don't have that kind of investment in people's lives. And that kind of encouragement and motivation is what helps us to have a fuller sense of ambition of trying to use the gifts and cultivate the gifts that we've been given. So I'm just going to riff off that a little bit because I think that's important. I think a lot of folks struggle to find that balance of, I would love a friendship that that you have somebody that doesn't just tell you what you want to hear all the time, but I think that's hard for the average person to have. Um, And so you wind up with somebody who's always like, constantly telling you what you ought to be doing which is terrible (laughs) or you have somebody who's just affirming whatever you feel how do you find the happy medium in that sort of friendship Uh, that is a really good question and if we could bottle the answers that we could retire (laughs) and then we wouldn't have to be ambitious for anything Um, but no I I think that that actually is a really good question and part of that I think has to do with the fact and I was just talking about this with some friends our culture doesn't really understand friendship very well. We're very much moving in that utilitarian direction of using people um, rather than having a deeply committed friendship. Uh, it's like that old country song, I want to talk about me. Um, that's where most of us are in our friendships. And so I think part of it, um, particularly if you're a Christian, is praying that God would put people in your life. The second part, is being vulnerable, taking the initiative to be vulnerable. That's what happened, started the whole Inklings thing off, was Tolkien had written this really long poem, and he didn't know if it was any good. And if you've ever written poetry or written a song, you know how threatening and frightening it is to share it with someone when you don't know what they're gonna say. And Tolkien took the risk to do that, and Lewis took it seriously, and it just sent their relationship to a whole different level, so I think vulnerability, prayer, and then just using good sense about who you trust. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that would be trying to initiate it yourself with others. And so, I mean, you know what you're striving for. And just finding somebody like that to, I think leading, obviously, if you come in guns blazing, just telling people what to do, you're not going to have any friends at all, probably. Um, Not healthy friends, but like starting with just genuine care and interest in the other person. and expressing that, but then also, uh, I, I think it's such a refreshing surprise when you have somebody who does genuinely care about you, and it's so evident, and it's also enough that they're willing to to say, um, like that, like the friend who shows up, and nobody, nobody would do that. It seems like like that. Yeah. What, a, what an amazing friend. So, yeah. well, going back, you to would it, do that. I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> um, what would you say to somebody who's who struggles with a lack of ambition for the good things? Um, I would say a couple of things. One would be to think about what brings you joy. Uh, If you are in a place where you never experience joy in your life, um, I would say that means there are probably some things that need to change uh, in your life. And so um, looking for what brings you joy, um, looking for what you're gifted at, what you're um, good at, uh, and not confining that to things that seem to be glamorous or socially acceptable. There's a lot of joy and work that is well done and satisfying. And so I think that that is part of it. Um, but I think also when you have some people in your life, especially maybe people who are a little bit older than you are, um, that you can talk to and ask them um, for advice, what, what they might see you doing, um, that that can be really helpful as well. 
because I think when we get kind of in those ruts, it's hard to see up above the rim of the rut to see what the other possibilities are out there. And the other thing I think is always a good thing to do is proactively, if you're working with it, like um, you're, you feel stuck in a particular area of your life, whether it's a job,
gospel of so our Lord and Savior yeah. Jesus Christ. And I would say part according of that to Saint Matthew, we are hardwired to find joy. After when Jesus we are was born him. in Bethlehem of Judea, that's one of the in reasons the days of Herod the King. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, over "Where over is he who has been born in a larger king cause?" And I was thinking Jews. about that. For we saw his star when it rose, um, and have and come to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and, uh, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, right now, because he inquired he of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, and for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will quotations a couple of weeks ago here. So I brought the actual quotation this time. And he's talking about working at things that you may not think are glamorous. And he says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, and when you have even as Michelangelo painted, or as Beethoven composed music, or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. They went he on should their sweep way. streets and so well that the all the hosts they of heaven and earth rose, will pause went before to say, here live it came a great street sweeper over the place who did where his job well. When they saw and the I think star, that is something they rejoiced that back a hold up. With great he understood joy. that no and matter going what into you the were house, doing, they saw the child that doing it with Mary, his mother, is one of the and ways they fell that down if you're a Christian that that brings glory to God. And you look at Dr. King's life they and him see how profoundly the world changed and because he tried and being to warned be in a dream not to return the things to Paris, that he saw they departed to their own country by another um, way. The, the other Martin Luther, Luther, not Martin yes. Luther King, but I, I told you. He was named for him. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth but I love the idea of what he's saying. It's like, there's no path in life that oh, can't Lord, be done to God's glory. So you think about that. The moment you, I mean, even sleeping, like the moment you wake up and gain conscience, consciousness, the you people who can walk serve God. You can actually seen a be ambitious life. in every single Those task. Those who dwell in um, the land of we deep we've darkness got a ten week old at home right now. And so it's really timely thinking about what Martin Luther back the in the 16th century, in the darkness, he uh, gave this sermon darkness on marriage. And he even talked about that. changing diapers My friends, this is the good news. You think about something so menial, the something so the night that we celebrate, the coming of the Magi's of fulfillment of the whole witness of the scriptures that the word of God, the salvation of God, he gives another way that you can act to the glory of God is thinking, but to the Gentiles and that that Messiah would indeed be be entrusted with light of the world. The very fact that he entrusts you with anything to bring you humility. Epiphany doesn't get also seeing it through God's eyes, recognizing that, like. This is a task just that he doesn't care about, that there's much respect. Out of his and we go on about our business as if nothing important really is happening. Uh, but I would Romans commend to you sometime, if you can ever go into a Latin country during the time yeah, of Epiphany, you will see that the world stops 
There are parades and, and things, processions yeah, and nothing, church services nothing and special so food and parties and all manner of celebration yeah. because yeah. Epiphany, from the earliest days of the church, has been one of the great feasts of the Christian life. And as we think about Epiphany tonight, I want us to consider why that is so. That we it is a season that gets lost in the shuffle in our country among the New Year's before, resolutions I, I to finally try the keto is, diet or very to, to go to the gym or to finally start getting up early and do all those things on your to-do list. And in the midst of all that, we lose epiphany. We lose our focus on the light because we are looking down. We are now looking up. And I love the opening of that Isaiah lesson that we have tonight. Arise, shine. And I get my has come. tools, and, and the I good just of smash that on the edges of this rock all Jesus day Christ. until I've got and it in a rectangle. And as you look in the New Testament, and then there are thousands of more John, waiting for and me. In the book of and Isaiah, I do it all day until I go home, and I come back the next day and I do it again. And, light. and the beauty and then of John's gospel about the incarnation is he says the light and the says, light of Christ doing, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand about this, because God but in our world today, how often do you one feel of the that the darkness has overcome the light? And they're doing exactly that we are surrounded by darkness, and we are tempted their mental to despair. Totally but the good news of Epiphany is that we are to arise and well, shine, I think it's about time for our light Q&A. has come. Uh, and the light shines in the darkness. And the hey, darkness. Cole. Oh, Cole. How are we doing on wow. questions, Cole? And in this great epiphany gospel that we've seen uh, tonight, it is amazing that when we look in Matthew's gospel, the first people to recognize who Jesus is are these Gentile sages from another country. Many people believe that they were perhaps Zoroastrians, that they're most likely from Persia. Um, if I could do mind meld with you, I would get things. you to consider all, right, all of the so things Alan Rankin taught here in our adult um, forum about the disagree Star of Jacob. That, I would um, that to you. It's on our website. It's fascinating. Um, not but when you listen to this story, anybody it is remarkable. Life. Because these Gentiles um, who are says, not the I've people to, who they are have the life and have chosen people of God, the they nature. have figured out uh, but that the I also is think coming. that it is very and easy to get the idea that it is wrong to have money the desert. And they are impressive and enough we, that they can walk in and get an audience with the king, which money is not something that is normal by any stretch of the imagination. And they go in because there's been this cataclysmic event declared in the heavens. When Paul that this king has been born, rich, and they go into Herod fully expecting that he is going to have money. the perfect answer to their question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So just For we have come to worship not him. Necessarily a problem. <laughs> Is what you funny do with thing it, is the whole Herod is like saying, what? And all of that. And part but of the reason for that is Herod has spent a lot of his hard-earned, um, probably illegally, probably filthy lucre on bribing the Roman Senate to name him an official to, so title. And you, guess you what that title what's was? The ultimate King end of the Jews. Money is really not enough. So like, he was not just, just a super symbol happy that these people that had feared, like what you saying, really want. Where is, is the one who is born to and be so, King of the Jews? You know, what is the money for? And the interesting thing is that Herod well, probably and his court were, of it, it all won't people actually, it should have been known. It will never be Even without the revelation of the star, they should have known. Is it for providing for the needs of your family? And when they finally take the trouble to go look up when Herod says, 
religion. No, it says that if you're a Christian, you don't provide for the needs sages, of your family. It says that you're worse Jewish than sages, an unbeliever. They immediately come back with the answer about um, where this is supposed to happen. So, and Herod yeah, I think the idea the wise well, you talk about the love and of money. He hopes to, um, as you know, it's a danger, I think, on both ends. You know, there's um, the prosperity gospel that Jesus to comes to make you healthy, wealthy, and but wise. But the wise that's men... Awesome. That's a load of garbage. He doesn't promise one of the you things we that you're going to be rich. So glorious there are a lot of televangelists that'll say that. They come um, but on the other end, you have king. kind of the opposite they error. They come like, well, actually, Jesus the royal court you, in you really Jerusalem will know about probably a king who was in a palace surrounded by riches. Again, like you said, And they're led by the star to this humble abode where this baby and the Peasant family, Absolutely. and yet instead of turning up their noses and saying this is not what we signed up for, how could this have happened? We must have gotten our GPS wrong. Instead of that, they bow down and worship the baby Jesus, and it is an that profound is also testimony really of the um, power I think of part of Jesus this, is that um, even in and that I would, moment I would want to ask some questions infancy, about what that ambition looks like and what the respect that the kings of the world um, but in kind of and a vacuum, God warns them in a dream that they go back that, by another uh, way one of the things and as we think about this to gospel tonight about that, I want us to think uh, about the choice type of that scripture that runs through Proverbs it gives us how the choice people that you of how are, are we going to respond shape to this news that the people you know, that walk in that darkness have seen a great utterly upon them that live in the shadow of death as light has dawned. Um, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is too not ambitious. And, and we see these two um, reactions for other First, people the reaction to of the wise men. But I am a big believer in prayer in these kinds of situations if you feel that you are in isolation in whatever circumstance it is, to pray that God would put people in your life um, that would be able to, they choose to um, walk their confidence to that. And take this arduous such a hard and expensive it's, it's such a fickle and long thing journey across the, the desert to worship this king is not even part of their own religion. Then I would say you probably that should not be so ambitious and probably align it to things that God would have you do, and where you probably find more community. On the other hand, it may be a perfectly holy ambition that you're striving for God's kingdom, and you're just in a season where you, you don't find folks that are around you. I would double down on that. But I want to read just a little bit. Trying to find as much as you can. I think the normal pattern is that we're meant to be in relationship as much as we possibly can be. A cold so even if he's called you to a, just a really the worst thing, time of the year for um, a journey, and I would say such a normal pattern journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, uh, but, and but the usually it, I think when you're ambitious. Lying down uh, you're in the snow. There were times I'm curious we why this person isn't finding ambition on the slopes. I've often found that when you're doing things ambitiously, you'll inevitably run into other end, folks. Yeah. We prefer to travel all night. Find us afterwards. With the yes, I was going to say that. The, the subtext answer to all these questions is if. We don't answer and it arriving in a way that helps you a moment um, to talk to us later. The place yeah, exactly. it was, you might say, satisfactory. Let's see. Next up. All this was a long you know time ago, God I is calling you to do And I would do it again, but set down. This set yes. down. This. That's Were we led all that way for I think birth? that there are 
a or number of indicators about that one. We I return to our what, places what do you find joy in? But no longer uh, if you find joy in the something, very often that means with an that you alien have a gift in some area that's guns. related to that. Um, there also are some excellent, uh, if you're a Christian, at, spiritual gifts, classes, or inventories that you can do the way that help you to identify your spiritual gifts. If you have a mentor or they did not person who loves you and someone knows you well, palace, um, they, they may be able to help you with identifying that also. They found this um, and sometimes it's things that you know that you're good at. And there was um, but sometimes so it may be something that you're really not aware of, but the people that know you well have the old dispensation, all the things yeah, that they had intended. that answer too. The, the other people clutching like, their so just because it gives you joy, we're also, no it may be totally terrible because thing. they and need. So it's important to know what God's Jesus, word says about things. So I would say, read God's word. Uh, yeah. It needs to be in accordance one, with His law. The one where He says, the so like, of the um, universe, you know, if it brings you joy and it's utterly sinful, yeah, you shouldn't so do that. The question you know? for um, us: one, I would is, Are we going to be like those ones? That's an important choose. To so follow, that's important. To follow uh, wherever I would God say you have to try to things, look at whatever right? this life reveals and try and to embrace and be, like it. I said, be willing God's to fail for us. And often through that, you will realize, okay, to be here's my proclivities. I'm good at this. Herod like said, is other people might one of the most awful rulers in the history of the world. Um, you know, you if you, you remember studying the Borgias when you were studying European history, reading God's word, that will help clarify some things. The Borgias uh, have gotten nothing pretty clear. You know, you're meant to the be. The Herods are one of I the think most God created human beings decadent and, it's meant to be and evil dynasties of the world. Uh, and Herod is sitting world, pretty uh, his, like, um, in cozy with the Romans, the um, occupying power, marriage is and he is he not interested in the life. Like, he is interested in preserving happens, his status uh, quo. He's got it all figured out. These are, these are out. things that are in the Bible and that as says, like, he's about this and also threat, one of the things he's figured out how to deal with that and to singleness as well, but he calls everyone to holiness. And that is something that, if you're wondering what do I do, that will be a place to start when it comes to vocation, Because he is determined to hold on to his way Way, I it's my way or the highway in Herod's Eve. Um, and and the question for yeah. us is how often are we like that, whether we're willing to admit it or not? This whole idea of light and darkness reminds me of an old story that some of y'all have heard before. But when I was in college, I was on a traveling musical show. Great question. Great collegiate to theater share the good news with your good man, Charlie Brown. We talked about this a little bit. I was the piano player, which also meant that I played Some time ago when we were talking about fried chicken restaurants. But we had gone on tour and we were playing in Florence, South Carolina, the restaurant theater. And we had sold out the you want to tell your friends very about it and about why it is. And so I had gone and, um, um, to prepare the same thing the should be true sure about the gospel. When we when we hear gospel, that's such a church word. Um, I love the fact that if, the if you speak French, and so gospel is bonne nouvelle, which literally is good news. And that's what the word gospel comes from And so I think part of it is. And um, I had made sure I knew praying exactly for people, where the piano was, was looking for the right opportunity and inviting the, uh, people to come and see. So I, I think a door, lot of times people in the church in the particularly have the idea that sharing the, the good news and immediately ran into a stack of like an information dump that, that someone had moved without and, my knowledge. Um, if any of you and have ever had someone do an information dump 
So the first one went down. That is not something that the next really like very much. And then finally, I think it is much better to pray. After that, I crawled in the darkness up to the piano, not terribly rude, except in theology, and turned on the little piano light. At which point, the oyster roast or come to a but that is very much what it's like when we try to live by our own business. We think we have it all figured out. We've made our plans. We've checked God twice. And we think that we can control this world as our oyster. We know what we're doing. And God can sort of stay up in his heaven and leave us alone. But the lesson of Epiphany is that that way is the way of death. Herod's life did not it's end well. It's a hard place to be in. And you're when you look at what happened to him, I mean, it is a reminder that when we choose our time, own way, like, we choose so, to ignore um, the light that God them, sends say, that's a great into thing. the world that's a wonderful thing. at Epiphany. To encourage that. We miss out Not just leave because you're a Christian. What kind of witness would that be? I hope you noticed that. But to continue to be friends with them, but recognize, I think the biggest thing, if Jesus really came to bring life, and it says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, Maybe just in other words, they're not here and there words what strong enough is in to your convey life. the and joy so that they have. I think in some and ways will, the you'll have a contentment, a satisfaction, often suffering that people want to understand and they want something back. Over also the things that maybe once brought you joy just don't nearly satisfy as much as they used to. And that comes across so little by little in friendship. So I would say avoid the errors of just piecing out. Avoid the other extreme of information rejoice which is right on with exceeding and live in the joy. of it is because of this revelation of light loving the gentiles that all of when, us much you know following Jewish God's answer. spirit like when That's to say a word all of us are uh, here when to invite because and that, that sort of thing but that live in the tension that exceeding of joy has spread from people and I would also to people across generations of centuries to reach us here in Charleston dear friend who um, so became a dear friend when I was first year law student. Is that in place of darkness, God gave us an intellectual to atheism. be our light, and we not to be a map that shows us the way, um, for, but to be an incarnate God who walks and then, at our um, side, the light who illuminates each next step and he just we kept need to telling take, me he was a helping atheist. to guide us and then after into the way of this years, My prayer for um, all of us is that in said, this epiphany we will choose to be like the wise, to look up, to look to the word of God, to look to the prophecies, to look to the Lord. That was not going to be one of those six-month uh, share the gospel projects kind of things. And Jesus never made anybody and listen a project. To this Jesus just loved and people these words and shared the truth. Let us pray. Yeah. And Lord, just one other quick thing. I May think your light the idea shine upon that it's up way. to you, you can often As feel like it's all on your shoulders to do this. When people that become a Christian, it's a miracle. Maybe it really is. That's what the Bible says. It's nothing short of God changing somebody's heart, which we don't have the power to right. change. The child and it's not, Paul says it's not in his uh, human wisdom and persuasiveness that people end up becoming nation, Christians. It's God's And so in some ways, you can just breathe knowing that even one, in your failures, oftentimes it's in my failures, right. that has exactly. the better, and you're like, come on, I wish like at least my successes would have something here, but like... Usually it's through my failures that uh, God seems to work the most. All right, that's great. Let's see, next up. I'm a, mus I'm a musician, and I find that I let my career ambitions, which aren't important to me, cause me to lose sight of what means most, which is music. What do I do? 
That is another good question because I think it's very hard to be caught um, where there's something that you love that you maybe even feel called to, but you also know that you need to earn a living. And I think trying to figure out how to strike the balance in that is really, really difficult. And um, I would say, again, that is an area where counsel from people that are older, and particularly people who are in the field where that you love, whether that be music or art or writing or whatever it might be, um, but I think it's very important if you feel called to whatever that is that you love that you not give that short shrift. And if your career, the, the money making doesn't allow you enough head space to be able to do that, then it might be better to take a cut in income um, in order to be able to focus more on what you love. Yeah, find, if at all possible, find other Christians in the field. See how they've done it and, and, and try to do that. Just doubling down the importance of it. See, life when you're living it just yourself often feels so clouded. The importance of having somebody from the outside who, to them, it, it can seem so clear. You right. Know? And yeah. It's like, yeah, because they're oh, not down the rabbit hole. I wish I yeah. just asked them, you know, and then in my own life, that's where the best change has happened often is when people have spoken in. It's like I couldn't see it in the moment, but others, others could. So. Yeah. All right, great. Let's see. If your ship is all sails and no rudder, how do you find a rudder? Oh, yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, if you, in one way, that's absolute hell, I would imagine. Because you have no idea uh, where you're going. Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, you're just in the Bermuda Triangle all the time. And it's exhausting, I would imagine. My goodness, if all you're doing is going 24-7, yeah, your rudder, I would say, is ultimately what God, God exists and he's spoken. And he's revealed what he has for your life in the Bible. And if you've never read it, I encourage you to take a gospel. Uh, read read a, one of the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read one of those. See how Jesus treated people. And he's calling you to, you know, the whole purpose of your life is centered around God. To, to make much of him and to enjoy a relationship with him. That's your that's everyone's rudder, fundamentally. That's just what it is. So you're welcome. If you're here and you didn't know who your rudder was, you do now. Um, but how would you say specifically, uh, I would imagine this person's talking about, like, how, what's my specific calling in life? Yeah, I would say, again, um, I can't overemphasize how important it is to have mentors and older people in your life who love you and who maybe have been a little farther down the road, because they may be able to look at your rudderless boat and say, well, it's very clear that the current is right there and you just need to steer a little bit. Um, something that, you, this is kind of what Justin was saying, that you can't see that, but somebody else may have the vision to be able to do that. And the worst thing you can do if you're in the, the Bermuda Triangle rudderless full sails is to just keep doing the same thing. Um, you know, you, you want to try to break out of that, and um, prayer is a great way to do that. Someone once told me that it's always important to remember that God is much more interested in accomplishing his will in your life than you are. And so when we pray into that and ask for his guidance, um, he is likely to respond. That's a, a, another thing. That's why I should never answer first. I, never, <laughs> I would say stop. You know, if, if that's all you're doing, you know, just stop. Take down the sail for a minute. Take down the sail and stop and 
think about it, pray about it, go into. I mean, often we're terrified of silence, but that can be a place where we can actually gain some perspective and clarity about where we're supposed to go. You can't do that when you're going nonstop. To your point about having friends with different perspectives, what are your thoughts on comparative religions and multi-denominational faith? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm not quite sure what they mean by that, but I think that it is, um, it's great to have friends of different faiths, to have friends who don't believe the same way as you do. Um, one of the things that we are called to do if you're a Christian is to love everyone and to see everyone is made in God's image. And I would say, in addition to that, to invite them to come and see. But what I would not suggest is any kind of environment that attempts to say that all faiths are the same. Um, that is, it's just wrong, um, for one thing. And um, there's a great, again, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, do yourself a favor. Uh, but the last one is about exactly that type of syncretism, of saying Aslan and Tash, who's like this kind of evil god, are really the same person, and it doesn't really matter what you believe. And there's a lot of that uh, in our culture, but it doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. And uh, that is a philosophy known as relativism, that uh, even in a secular philosophy department, they will disabuse you of that in about five minutes. Yeah, anybody who takes their faith genuinely serious, like seriously, uh, and they, you know, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, uh, Judaism, Christianity, th they know that they don't say the same things. Like, yes, there's a lot of similar morality to it, but fundamentally, Christianity is about a historical event. You know, it's about the person of Jesus and the resurrection. And so, these different religions say different things about who Jesus is. So, agreeing with you completely, it's just you can't say that they're all the same. Because one's either a historical event that's true or it's not. Um, but I would say the importance of not being in an echo chamber as well. Like yeah. one of the beautiful things about I think Christianity is that it says that God created everyone in His image, and so everyone has equal worth. The importance of being in relationships with people who disagree with you. Um, a, it's just really good to know how to get along with somebody who disagrees with you. I think that's a lost art today. Uh, we've lost the ability to find. Uh, so much joy with people that we disagree on certain things about. And it's really important to be able to find common humanity in people. I mean, goodness gracious, look at our society right now. Like, if we could gain the ability to find common humanity in people and get along, uh, that, that would go so far. But just, it, it, it refines your own faith when you're uh, in loving relationships with people who disagree with you. And I would say, even with people who, if you have friends that make fun of your Christian faith, even that is just a call to love them more. Um, because Jesus says, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, his most important teaching, love your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you. He doesn't say, diss them and you know don't talk to them anymore. Stay in relationship, love them, and pray for them. And so um, I think it helps keep us uh, real when we do that. Last one? Maybe? Yeah. How do you keep the ambition when things aren't going your way and or you're seeing others around you achieve goals you're hoping to as well? That is a great question too. I think what 
when you're in those kinds of circumstances, it's really easy to feel discouraged. And sometimes you are in circumstances where there may be injustice. People may not be treating you fairly. You know, you may not be getting an equal shake and the boss may have a favorite or something like that. And those kinds of circumstances are difficult. But I think as Christians, you know, if you're a Christian answer, asking that question, the answer to that is to continue to try to do your work excellently and trust God for the result. And if you see that you are in a workplace where there is manifest injustice or something like that, then maybe to look at whether it may be time that God is making you Feel free to hang out. Say hey to Clark back there. Thank you, Clark. <laughs>